Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64,000? You're listening to the Nibbler Podcast, the Twilight Book Club for Commitment Phobes. Bella, he murmured, his voice warm and velvet. Would you please stop trying to take your clothes off? Do you want to do that part? I asked, confused. Not tonight, he answered softly. His lips were slower now against my cheek and jaw. All the urgency gone. Edward, don't! I started to argue. I'm not saying no, he reassured me. I'm just saying not tonight. I exhaled with a loud huff. I have to marry you first? I asked in disbelief. That's the deal. Take it or leave it. Compromise, remember? I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And April Fools. Yeah. Except for not real. Because yeah. you sort of probably knew this was coming. But April Fools, lol, we're doing Twilight. We're doing Twilight Eclipse, which is the third one in the series. So we have now read three full Twilight books for you. You're welcome, motherfuckers. <laughs> the Quibbler podcast is now like, it's like 2% a Twilight podcast. I haven't actually done the math, but at any the rate, math, the math exists. It's true. Someone can make a chart of what percent a podcast this is, a Twilight podcast. Well, and because these books are so long, these episodes are monsters. That's true. Ha, literally. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's a fair amount of audio out there that's just us talking about fucking Twilight. Also, there's going to be cursing on this podcast. Um, sorry, I didn't warn you ahead of time. And spoilers for the Twilight Saga. The whole Twilight Saga, not just Twilight Eclipse, also but the movies. There's spoilers are hard because the plot is almost completely meaningless in these books. <laughs> so I guess spoiler alert, they talk a lot about their feelings. I don't know. Spoilers aren't important here the way they are in Harry Potter because everything is meaningless. There's not a lot of mysteries to solve. There's like kind of a mystery in this book, but it totally takes a backseat to... The larger mystery yeah. of will she end up with Edward? Yes. Yeah. 90% likelihood feels like. Anyway, 99%. I kind of can't believe we're doing this. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are short engagements, animal control, newborn care, non-consent, and college admissions scandals. So, God, these are hard. Alex, what happened in this book? This book is 620 pages long. So let's do it in a minute. It's, the <laughs> it's not Order of the Phoenix, but... I would say 10% of the plot of Order of the Phoenix is stretched over 620 pages. I, how am I even going to get through this? To okay, be fair, this book is so mind-numbingly repetitive <laughs> that whole paragraphs, for all I know, could be lifted from the first chapter and pasted into the last chapter, and I would not be able to tell. It's just like she was using like predictive typing it's to so write the goddamn Twilight, long, and the it's so goddamn boring <laughs> that the plot is kind of minuscule but okay go for it what happened well we will leave it to you to decide dear listeners whether twilight eclipse is boring or not uh hopefully this episode isn't boring <laughs> so 
if you haven't read Twilight Eclipse, I still think you can gain something from this super intellectual discussion. I, it's not that intellect, going to be that intellectual, but um, hopefully I can make this intelligible to you. If uh, for those of you who are not Twihards, as I guess we now are. Oh yeah, we're in it. I mean, we made podcasts about it, so technically, I guess we're like in the fandom or whatever. We've been changed forever. This book has changed me forever. <laughs> Anyway, in the Twilight Saga, colon, Eclipse, we find Bella grounded as fuck for her shenanigans at the end of New Moon. For those of you who aren't paying super close attention, she, like, bailed out on her dad in his time of need after his, like, best friend, one of his best friends had died to go on an Italian vampire adventure. Also, she rode a motorcycle. Yeah, and she rode a motorcycle. So it's not clear which one she's more grounded for, but she is super duper grounded and Edward can only come over at pre-approved times. I think he has to leave by, like, 4 p.m. or something like that. They've been doing a lot of college applications together. Oh, Edward is her boyfriend who's a vampire, FYI. Thank you for clarifying that. Hey, just so you know. Bella's the protagonist. She's a human. Yeah, human vampire love. <laughs> it's the main theme of these books. Okay, I got to pick up the pace if we're ever going to get through this in one minute. Um <laughs> Edward and Bella overhear on the news that there have been a bunch of killings in Seattle. It might be the work of a serial killer or gang activity. Crime is skyrocketing. And Charlie is, who is Bella's dad, is super duper concerned. I've said super duper twice already. So I don't know. I'm repeating things too. So I can't dunk on Stephanie Meyer too much. Charlie is very concerned. He's also banned trips to Seattle. Edward suspects that the killings might be the work of vampires. In specific, newborn vampires who can't control themselves. So that will be important. Uh, at Forks High School, everyone is getting ready for graduation. There's lots of excitement in the air. One day at lunch, Edward's sister Alice, also a vampire who can see the future, has a vision of... What's her vision again? It's like vampires coming to attack Forks from Seattle. So the Seattle grunge vampires are going to come to Forks eventually and stir up some shit. There's tension between Edward and Bella because Edward doesn't want Bella to hang out with her best friend Jacob, who is a werewolf, who probably has feelings for Bella also. Also, vampires and werewolves hate each other. They're like natural mortal enemies. Even though werewolves only seem to exist on the Olympic Peninsula. Go read the Wikipedias for the first two Twilights if you're super lost at this point. But Jacob hasn't been returning Bella's phone calls because he's mad at her for dating a vampire. So there's some drama there. God, nothing happens in the first, like, 400 pages. I'm looking at the summary, and the next thing that happens is Bella visits her mom in Florida. <laughs> So that's what happens. Bella visits her mom in Florida because Edward's parents, adopted parents, vampires all have like these found families. Carlisle and Esme Cullen gave Bella airplane tickets to Florida for her birthday in the last book. Listen to this. Is this a fantasy novel? <laughs> Edward uses the companion ticket to go to like Tampa or wherever she lives. 
to visit, the real reason which I will reveal shortly, Charlie is getting very concerned about how serious Bella and Edward are about each other. Charlie, of course, hates Edward because Edward bailed on Bella for like half a year last in the previous book, sending her into sending her into a horrible depression. Charlie tells Bella that she should uh, be careful and uh, take precautions if her relationship with Edward gets uh, physically intimate. So that's a really awkward conversation. Bella tells Charlie that she's still a virgin. When Bella gets back from Florida, Jacob shows up at Forks High School to tell her that Victoria is back in town and hunting her. Victoria is fucking pissed at Bella and Edward because her mate, Victoria's a vampire, BT dubs, her mate tried to kill Bella and then ended up getting killed by the Cullens in book one. So she's been on this multi-book quest to murder Bella to give Edward the sads. That is why Edward made Bella leave town for the weekend. Bella's super pissed that Edward didn't tell her. There's this whole, like, sharks and jets, like, kind of showdown between Edward and Jacob in the parking lot. Where they, I don't know, they're, like, snapping their fingers at each other and baring their teeth. Bella's classmates debate who would win in a fight between Edward and Jacob. Who do you think would win? <sighs> I don't know. Probably Edward. I think probably Edward. He's more experienced. He seems smarter. He's older. He's like a hundred. Jacob rolls deeper than Edward, though. That's true. It's a lot of werewolves. Also, like, obviously Edward would win if they were both humans, but Jacob might do better in wolf form. Yeah, it's unclear who would win. Maybe they'll battle in the next book. I actually know nothing about the next book, except there's like a vampire baby involved. So that'll be exciting if we end up doing the next book as a podcast, which I guess we're now committed to. We have to do the last one we can't do the first three of <laughs> and then be like oh we're good and not we're tapping see out. it through anyway i certainly hope you guys get something out of these summaries so where do we leave off okay so edward starts forbidding bella from seeing jacob one day when edward is off hunting mountain lions quick reminder the cullens don't eat people they're vegetarian vampires they only eat other meat rendering the term vegetarian completely meaningless yeah but that's like they're, that's like that's like their inside joke they're like cheeky vampires when edward is off hunting bella takes off to spontaneously visit jacob on the Quileute Reservation because Jacob is a Native American and this particular tribe, the Quileutes, who are a real tribe in real actual life, they turn into werewolves to defend themselves against vampires. Not in real life. Not in real life. That is only in the Twilight world. Jacob and Bella have one of many intense conversations that they're going to have in this fucking book. He says that they should be together and they're meant to be together. We learn more about werewolf lore. There's this thing called imprinting where a werewolf finds his soulmate and then can't be with anyone else. We will talk about this later. Uh, also, Jacob doesn't age anymore or he ages super slow. So werewolves have like semi-immortality. More on this later. Edward is, of course, fucking pissed that Bella snuck out to see Jacob. So Bella avoids him and then, in order to avoid him, goes to help her friend Angela send out graduation 
Nation announcements. And there's a whole scene of them just doing that. <laughs> she wrote the scene where Bella addresses envelopes for her friend. She sat down at her desk and she wrote that scene. There's like, Be- Angela's sending out way too many announcements to like way too many people. And there's a lot of just realistic graduation logistics in this book. <laughs> I can tell you how they had people, like, line up and get their diplomas. Right. They do it too quickly. They, like, the music, like, runs out or something, right? right? Uh, anyway. Because the graduation scene is rendered in real time. That's, like, 2,000 pages later in this book. So we will get to the graduation. Edward, like I said, is furious. But Bella has had enough of their vampire werewolf feud. And she says, from now on, I'm a neutral country. I'm Switzerland. But the next time Edward goes hunting, he has Alice, quote, kidnap her, unquote, for a girls weekend. Because Edward is being manipulative as fuck. So Bella stays over the Cullens and finds that Edward's room has been remodeled. There's now this giant bed. It's like a gold bed with like sculpted metal roses around the frame. I it's it's pretty extra. The night that Bella stays over at the Cullens, Rosalie, Edward's other sister, who has never liked Bella for strange reasons, tells her the story of how she became a vampire. Basically, she was living in Great Depression era. I think Rochester, New York, and was in a middle-class family, but she was like super pretty and everyone liked her and she was engaged to marry like the, I don't know, the son of like a fucking factory owner or something like. I think a banker. Oh, it was a banker's son. And she was like ready to have this perfect life, but then he got super drunk and gang raped and killed her with a bunch of his friends. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, I was like, what? It went from like, it got intense really fucking fast. Uh, didn't actually kill her. Left her for dead, bleeding out. Carlisle Cullen, who I guess is working as a doctor in Rochester at this time, finds her, turns her into a vampire, and that's how she became a member of the Cullen family. But not before she went and killed her fiancé and his 'er ne'er-do-well friends in a Tarantino-esque act of revenge. I think she she even wore a wedding dress when she killed uh, Royce, I think is the guy's name. Anyway, so she tells Bella, I wish I'd had a choice. I didn't want this life. I wanted kids. I wanted to grow old. I wanted grandkids, etc., etc. And there's still 4,000 pages left of this book. (laughs) The next day at school, Jacob shows up on his motorcycle because he's a bad boy and Bella rebels and makes a spontaneous decision to go with him to the push because Alice has been watching her every move because Alice can tell the future unless you like haven't made a decision. So Alice's visions work in this way that she can only see things that have someone has decided to do so people can kind of avoid her machinations by making snap decisions or only sort of doing things at the last minute. Right. So Bella jukes out Alice's future sense and goes to the push on Jacob's motorcycle. They have another super duper series. Super duper. They- <laughs> Why do I keep saying super duper in this one? <laughs> it sucks. They have another very serious, fraught conversation about their feelings. 
this time, I think, on their beach. God, I they forgot. They have a beach that's like their spot. I forgot that there's multiple of these scenes. There are many scenes where they're where Jacob and I remember Bella this all as one long scene. No, no, there's many of these. Bella learns even more about imprinting. She finds out that Quill, one of the newest werewolves in the pack, has fallen in love with a two-year-old girl. We will discuss this later, but put a pin in that. <laughs> Quill's in love with a toddler. He's fifteen. Uh, it's okay, apparently. Bella tells Jacob that she's going to be transformed into a vampire at the end of the year. Jacob loses his temper. He says, you'd be better off dead. I'd rather you were. Bella gets mad, storms out, and heads back to the Cullens. Edward isn't even mad at her that she slipped away this time because, I don't he's like trying to be like a good guy now and let her do her thing, which I think is also maybe an act of manipulation. I don't know. Uh, I can't really keep track of all this. Everyone's having a lot of feelings. <sighs> when Bella eventually returns home, they discover that somebody has been rummaging through her stuff from the scent. Edward smells that another vampire has been there, so that's alarming. The wolves and the vampires then agree on a tenuous truce to attempt to sniff out the invader. It's not Victoria. It's some vampire no one has ever fucking smelled before. Everyone has incredible senses of smell. Vampires and werewolves alike. Bella spends more time on the reservation under the protection of the wolves. She goes to a bonfire where they talk about the legends of the tribe, a real tribe that Stephanie Meyer has made up legends for. Basically, the Quillutes, according to Stephanie Meyer, not the actual Quillutes, they used to become spirit warriors. They could leave their bodies and, like, manipulate nature and other objects when they would fight against their enemies. At some point, there was a weird coup where an evil tribesman, like, stole the body or something of the good chief. Is that what happened? He, like, destroyed the good chief's body while he was, like, outside of it. There's some fucking metaphysical shit. Eventually, the good chief finds a wolf to, like, live inside. The wolf lets him in, and he's able to regain leadership of the tribe. I don't think the body was destroyed. I don't know. There's, like, so there's, like, some spirit warrior shenanigans, and that's what puts, like, the werewolf wolf DNA into the Quileute lineage. Then at some point, vampires show up and and the tribe's people are able to turn into wolves to fight the vampires. Uh, they kill this marauding vampire that is terrorizing the village. But then later, that vampire's mate shows up and starts causing even more carnage. The chief attacks the vampire woman. She seems to have the upper hand. I think she's like killed some of the other werewolves. Uh, she's like a super badass vampire. The chief is losing in his fight against this vampire and then his third wife stabs herself with a knife to distract the vampire who goes into a frenzy of bloodlust at the scent of her wound, giving the chief a chance to destroy her. So... For some reason she stabs herself in a way that will kill her rather than making like a surface wound. That was your first mistake. Which would create just (laughs) as much blood. (laughs) She stabs herself in the gut which is the most painful possible like way and place to bleed out I think she wanted rather as than much... just slice like her upper arm open 
Which Bella does later. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Uh, Bella learns the wrong thing from this legend. Bella becomes obsessed with this legend and starts talking about it in her sleep. Because Bella gives away, like, keys to her motivations and future actions in various sleeping sequences. Because Bella's, like, deep. Fucking convenient. (laughs) Also, did we mention Edward can read minds, but he can't read Bella's mind? Yeah, so. That's also here. Edward is constantly reading everyone's minds. It's really rude. He, like, gets all the tribe's, like, drama by reading all their minds and then just, like, gosses with Bella about what they've all been thinking about. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. What the hell, Edward? Anyway, back to the main story. Whatever. Anyway, that's how fucking werewolves were created. I'm sure I butchered that, much like the third wife butchered herself. Uh, (sighs) And then at some point, the Cullens showed up and the Carlisle convinced the chief at the time, Jacob's great-grandfather, Ephraim Black, that they were, like, different than other vampires. So they had a treaty. And to this day, they've agreed to stay off each other's territory. At some point, the vampires conclude that an army of newborn vampires is being created in Seattle and that it will eventually come to Forks to take out the Cullens. It's like, aim is the Cullens. Nevertheless, Alice Cullen is still determined to throw a kick-ass graduation party for the high school because she, like, actually wanted to be an event planner in her, instead of a vampire. I don't know. I don't see why she couldn't also do that. Yeah, none of them have jobs. She'd actually be a great event planner because she could foresee all contingencies. Also, she can act like monumentally quickly. <laughs> yeah, they don't really need money, but they also seem bored as hell all the time. So Alice should just get a job. Yeah, so she's going to throw a graduation party because Alice has also been going to high school as has her mate Jasper, even though they can like, they've been alive so long that they've all learned how to like translate like 50 languages and I, I whatever they do seem bored as hell oh edward <laughs> just deep sighs edward and bella have been going back and forth about the idea of marriage Edward asks why Bella doesn't want to marry him. She says, I don't know. Like, people don't get married at 18. What will people think? Also, like, ew, marriage. Even though she wants to become a vampire with him for the rest of her life. Which is eternity for eternity. a vampire. Eternity, yeah, forever. Edward says, I'm really more traditional. I'm from, like, back in, like, 1918, which is when he died of, well, he was about to die of Spanish flu. And then Carlisle made him a vampire. He says, back then, I would have courted you. We would have had, like, chaperoned walks. And I would have, like, asked for your hand in marriage. And I'm just more traditional. So they talk about, like, the institution of marriage, which Belle doesn't believe in, but Edward super does. And they have a philosophical debate about, like, what norms should prevail when you live on a super extended time frame. Which is actually kind of an interesting discussion. Could be interesting. Could be an interesting discussion. in this book? (laughs) Um, Theoretically interesting topic, horribly boring in this book. All the vampires have to consult with Jasper about how to fight the newborn vampire army. Jasper tells Bella his origin story. Jasper reveals that he was in the b-b-b-b-motherfucking Confederate army (laughs) way back in the 1860s. He's a good guy in this book. He's a Confederate officer good guy. That while evacuating civilians and presumably enslaved people from Galveston uh, in the face of a Union invasion, he came upon 
three women who seemed like they were refugees but were actually vampires they turned him into a vampire the the leader maria and then they started creating newborn vampire armies to compete for territory in the south so the whole american south and mexico and i think parts of south america were the scenes of these horrible vampire wars of vampires creating armies of newborns and then disposing of the newborns to like fight for territory which basically meant more humans so like pasture land basically and then eventually the Volturi who are like the vampire government that keep everyone in line they're like the vampire ministry of magic but way more effective I mean to be fair land and resource wars are the story of the American Southwest that's true so well, there you it's, go it's not an inaccurate interpretation of what people went to war for so Jasper says that everyone said it was smallpox, but it was actually vampires that depopulated much of the Western Hemisphere. So... What? I guess colonialism gets a pass (laughs) in the Twilight universe. But anyway, eventually Jasper got tired and depressed with this kind of life and abandoned Maria and found Alice. They got together. So yeah, Jasper's basically a war criminal. But again... Oh, the Volturi, I think I... Didn't mention this. They came and eventually, like, enforced order and, like, brought a tenuous peace to the region because it was attracting too much attention to the fact that there are motherfucking vampires. I just want to reiterate once more, Jasper's a good guy in this book. <laughs> he, he, I guess he leaves his, his old ways. After decades of carnage. Of just murdering people and va- humans and vampires. Yeah. So Jasper knows a lot about newborns and their tactics. Yeah, his job job with Maria was to, they have this army, they'd use them in a fight, and then he would destroy them after they weren't useful anymore. Oh, the key thing with newborn vampires is they have way more bloodlust and can't control themselves. They're also a lot stronger and more powerful than older vampires. So sometime after hearing this story, Bella once again visits LaPush to have a very long conversation about her feelings with Jacob Black. Jacob reveals that he's in love with her. Wait, this happens on the third visit to the... Again, this this should all be one scene. In the movie, this is all one scene, which is No, there's like great. two scenes, I think. Well, either way, they like, there's like one, there's at least one less. Okay. I don't know. It's some, he says, I'm in love with you and you need to know this and you should choose me. Uh, eventually, he forces a kiss on her. She punches Jacob in the face, which breaks her hand because he has super werewolf bones. And then heads back to Edward. Uh, When Jasper and Emmett find out that Bella punched a werewolf, they debate about how many people she's going to kill in her first year as a vampire, causing Bella to wonder how much the transformation into a vampire will change about her. Something she might have wanted to consider before she decided to become a vampire. Uh, At some point, Bella realizes that the vampire army has been created to destroy her and not the Cullens. And that Victoria's leading it. Yeah. Uh, The graduation party commences as normal and the werewolves attend. At the party, Alice has a vision. She sees that the vampires are on their way to Forks. The werewolves at the party catch wind of this and agree to join forces with the vampires to defend Forks and LaPush from the newborn army because teamwork makes the scream work. (laughs) 
They start running strategy and training sessions facilitated by Jasper. Bella spends a lot of this time petting Jacob while he's in wolf form. It's kind of weird. She's mostly over the whole forced kiss thing, even though she describes it as an assault to she's Jacob. She's right. Yeah, she's correct. Uh, more on this later. Edward and Jacob catch a kind of convoluted plan to hide Bella in the mountains during the battle, using Jacob to hide her scent while they draw the newborns into a trap. Oh, vampires think werewolves smell terrible and they, like, won't follow them. So this is a good excuse for Jacob to carry Bella through the woods without a shirt on. Jacob's always shirtless because they keep, like, turning into werewolves and busting out of their clothes so hilariously they carry like sweatpants and t-shirts in like bags tied to their feet there's a lot of werewolf dressing logistics which still doesn't make sense because we see them multiple times turn into werewolves on stage as it were and then they have pants on when they come back no there's parts where they like he like has to run back into the woods and like put his pants on i guess yeah fair (laughs) that's so weird it's weird of all the plot holes in this that she has decided that it's really important to meticulously explain how they wear clothes there's so many more questions that are much more important and salient than how come jacob doesn't just walk around naked i mean inquiring minds want to know i know but inquiring minds want to know other things so bella has a really awkward walk through the i guess run through the forest pressed up against jacob's bare chest and he is super creepy about the kiss. He asks her if she's been thinking about it. She says, "No, I didn't want you to kiss me." And they talk about uh, they talk about their feelings some more. Bella is barred from helping out in the fight because Edward figures out that she wants to reenact the tale of the third wife. So Bella also asks Edward to sit out the battle with her because she can't stand the idea of losing him in the vampire werewolf war. Okay, I'm realizing I messed this up a bit. Jacob carrying Bella through the woods happens a little bit later. First... Bella spends the night at the Cullens alone with Edward because the Cullens are out hunting to power up for the battle. Actually, I think they ran. I think they did a test run through the woods. What? It doesn't matter. Bella is at the Cullens' house. She's told Charlie that she's sleeping over because Alice is like alone for the weekend because the Cullens are camping or some bullshit. Anyway, Bella is determined to make the most of her night alone with Edward. She is basically DTF, down to fang. Not funny? No, pretty funny. (laughs) I just shook my head. I mean, she's... Bella's horny as hell in this scene. There's no other way to describe it. Bella is determined to sleep with Edward, and she says, You said you'd do anything for me. Like, will you do one thing for me? Edward's like, anything. Bella's like... Let's do it. She doesn't quite put it in those words. Uh, Edward's like, no, we can't do that. Because Edward is afraid that it's a sin. I shit you not. This is the discussion that they have. Well, first he's afraid that he's going to hurt her. Oh, yeah. Edward's like, I might fuck you so hard that you die. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Because he has super vampire strength. And he's basically a stone. He's like a statue. She often describes how getting in bed with him is like getting into bed with the statue of David. Which, all right, I guess if that's that's your thing, man. Yeah, so first he says, I'm afraid I'd kill you by sleeping with you. But then as they have this whole tortured negotiation, 
it comes out that Edward is actually afraid of basically stealing Bella's virtue. Edward thinks that vampires are like damned. And if there's like even a chance at like going to heaven, he doesn't want to like fuck it up by having sex before marriage. And he's like already broken all these like rules in life. So he doesn't want to break this one. And also he's from like 1918 and it's very traditional. And yeah. That's the fucking conversation they have. Eventually, the compromise they agree on is that... Because at first, Bella tries to use her leverage to be like, fuck me before we get married. And he's like, no, I'll fuck you after. Uh, I want every human experience, Bella says. The compromise they arrive at is that they will do it while she's still human, but after they get married. Edward's like, it's cool. It doesn't have to be a big thing. We'll get married in Vegas. He gives her a ring. It's his mom's. But later, Alice gets super pissed when she finds out and guilt trips Bella into letting her plan the wedding. Jacob carries Bella to their hiding place, and that's when he's super creepy about the kiss. Edward and Jacob have hidden Bella away at super high altitudes somewhere in the... Is it the Cascades? No, it's, in the, it's not the Cascades. It's whatever those fucking mountains are up there. In the Olympic, the Olympic Mountains. A high-altitude snowstorm moves in at night, and Bella is in danger of freezing to death. Why didn't they buy, like, a zero-degree mummy bag? I have no idea. Uh, she is dangerously cold. Edward, of course, can't warm her up because he is made of stone. Not literal stone, but, like, whatever the fuck Edward is made of. He's very, very, very cold He's extremely also. cold all the time. So Jacob, who has standing guard outside the tent, comes in and gets into the sleeping bag to warm her up. Because werewolves run really high yeah, body temperatures. Yeah, werewolves have, like, naturally high body temperatures. So this is a tense moment because Edward can read Jacob's thoughts and he's having fantasies about Bella while they're in the sleeping bag together. Well, Bella is sleeping, Edward and Jacob debate who's best for Bella. Jacob is basically like, you're not as good as she thinks you are and I'd be better for her. And Edward's like, maybe you would be better for her, but you're not who she wants. And then, so now Edward and Jacob are discussing their feelings. The next morning, Bella's like, hey, I'm sorry, that couldn't have been easy easy for you last night me snuggling so hard with jacob edward's like it's not on my top 10 list of nights but let's talk about our top 10 favorite nights so they talk about their top 10 favorite nights with an earshot of jacob and edward reveals that his favorite night was the night she agreed to marry him jacob is like what the fuck you guys are getting married and he freaks out he threatens to kill himself in the coming battle bella is distraught and says kiss me jacob i guess to like so he won't kill himself um what the fuck jacob well jacob and bella are kissing she realizes that she is but 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 motherfucking also in love with jacob so he really ground her down there jacob heads off to the battle and is spelled by some random werewolf named seth who they're gonna use as like a furry cell phone to communicate with the rest of the pack during the battle. Did we mention that werewolves can also read each other's minds while they're werewolves? The werewolves have a telepathic connection. There's a lot of telepathy in these books. Oh, Edward is like surprisingly chill about the fact that Bella kissed Jacob. He's like, you're only human. You love him too. She says that she loves Edward more and feelings. The battle between the wolves and the vampires and the newborn seems to go okay. But then Edward and Bella and Seth, <laughs> weirdly are ambushed 
by Victoria and this other random vampire named Riley. Victoria had picked up Edward's scent during the battle and followed it, thinking that he'd be with Bella, and she was right. There's a fucking epic battle. Bella tries to reenact the third wife's sacrifice by cutting herself, luckily not stabbing herself in the gut. It doesn't really work, because they had like a handle on it anyway. Bella thought she was intervening in a critical moment, but Seth was just pretending to be hurt, and I wouldn't it be better if it, Bella had actually impacted the fight? Well, guess what? She didn't. Bella has no impact on anything that happens in these books. Maybe that that's, that's a little unfair. She only makes things worse. <laughs> she doesn't ever help. So, Victoria and fucking Riley have been destroyed. Everything seems okay. But then, Edward finds out that Jacob has been horribly wounded in the battle, trying to save one of the other werewolves. Uh, so... Bella's obviously very upset, and then it turns out that the bup bup uh, motherfucking Volturi are coming to crack down on all this nonsense. Uh, so the werewolves have to get out of Dodge because the Volturi don't know they exist. The Volturi then confront the Cullens. They are shocked that they were able to defeat such a huge vampire army. The Volturi were clearly like kind of hoping that the newborns right. would kill some of the Cullens. Which is why they didn't intervene when they were wrecking shit in Seattle. The Volturi then warn the Cullens that they don't give second chances and that Bella better be a fucking vampire next time they show up because that's what they promised in the last book. Also, the Volturi finish off a newborn vampire named Bree who surrendered to the Cullens, but they say that she has to die. It's fucking sad. Kind of. It's really low stakes. Yeah. <laughs> and extraneous. So after all this excitement, there's a very long falling action. Bella visits Jacob as he's recuperating in La Push, and they have a very long fraught conversation about their relationship. Bella admits that maybe in a certain world, a world where vampires and werewolves don't exist, they're probably soulmates and that they probably should be together. But her love for Edward just like trumps everything and she's so sorry. Bella says, you were like the sun to me. Jacob says, yeah, but I couldn't handle an eclipse. So, title of the book. Jacob says maybe he'll figure out a way to be okay with the fact that Edward and Bella are together, but that he'll always be waiting in the wings for her. Bella leaves and has a breakdown in her car. She cries a lot. Later, she recovers, and she and Edward are sitting in their favorite meadow talking about everything that has transpired when Edward says, all right, I'm ready to do it. Fuck it. Let's have sex now. I've been trying to force you into too much stuff and to not do things the way you want to do it, I'm ready. Bella says that she's thought about it a lot and that she now sees the value of having this marriage ceremony and quote-unquote doing things right and giving closure to her family, Charlie and Renee, who she's going to abandon forever to become a vampire. So she says, first, before all that happens, we got to do something even more dangerous. We got to go tell Charlie. He slips the ring back on her finger where she realizes it will stay for eternity. And then there's an epilogue told in Jacob's voice where he gets a wedding invitation from Edward saying like, I, if I were in your position, I'd want to have the choice to attend or not. He is fucking pissed and he turns into a wolf and just runs into the night thinking that he might stay a wolf forever. And that's what happens in the Twilight Saga colon Eclipse. Jeez. 
Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> oh my God. There's so much and so little going on here. Doing these episodes is always such a weird experience for me because like they're pretty long and they just become this like weird fever dream companions. My main experience of the Twilight books is I, so I listened to the audiobooks. A, I had to listen to them on like faster speed because they're so slow. I don't know if you can tell from the audiobook clips, but the reader's pace is honestly bizarre. And I think she's a pretty she's a pretty good reader. Uh, and I, <laughs> but oh man, uh, she really savors every sentence. Oh yeah, I would say the she exquisite really prose <laughs> finds Wire. its home. So I listened to these books at the gym. So most of my experience is just like sweating and panting and listening to Jacob and Edward and Bella just talk in circles around each other for like hours on end. And I don't know. Yeah, it's like a fever dream for me. And I'm listening to Twilight at the fucking gym. So hopefully no one like looks over at the next treadmill. As a 33 year old man. Just like this man should not be allowed in this gym. Like (laughs) get him out of here. Yeah, because it's not, it's not pretty, it's not a pretty sight. What, you at the gym or are you listening to Twilight at the gym? All of it. That's not fair to yourself. (laughs) The thing that's wild about Twilight, especially the books after the first one, you read the first one and you sort of get the phenomenon. It's not great, but she builds up kind of an interesting head of steam in the first Twilight. The Edward Bella thing is marginally compelling, at least, but the subsequent books genuinely read like fan fiction of themselves. (laughs) The writing devolves significantly, I think even from book one to book three. And book one isn't lovely. I don't I don't know. Like she stopped doing the weird calling out every car make and model that Bella seem sees. But she stops doing any other interesting descriptions either. Mm. They're all dialogue Essentially, they're either dialogue or real-time meals. yeah. (laughs) And the conversations that happen between our main characters over and over and over do feel like a fanfiction writer kind of working out their feelings about these characters in real time. Hmm. Not that I think fanfiction is always or even usually bad, but these don't read like they were written by the person who invented these characters. So... Yeah, I I think they get more and more boring. I really do. The last one was pretty brutally boring. Until the very end. But this one, it's just unmitigated dullness punctuated by 50 pages of action in a 600-page book. I would say generously is how much genuine interest is generated yeah here yeah i was kind of excited for this one because i thought well at least it won't just be like 400 pages of bella being depressed and then it kind of is yeah actually for being a supernatural fantasy there's not a lot of supernatural fantasy until the very end of the book it's mostly just teens being teens some of them are 100 year old teens I don't know, which is fine. Teens are... There's wonderful books out there. There is wonderful, realistic young adult fiction about teens being teens. This is not good, (laughs) realistic young adult fiction about teens being teens. The thing is, when it gets to the point where it is 
fantasy, it gets better. It's still not excellent, but the fantasy elements are my favorite part. They're pretty interesting. Yeah, she's that's pretty good at that. There's she's- some kind of fun world building. The lore on both supernatural sides here is pretty interesting. The battle scenes are genuinely exciting. But most of this is just listening in real time to dysfunctional couples talk to each other. (laughs) There is sort of a verisimilitude of the way people who are afraid to tell each other what they're actually thinking kind of talk in circles. But For sure, but like I said with all the Jacob stuff, you could have done that all in one scene. Instead we get five full multi-page multi-dozen page scenes of Jacob and Bella having the same conversation. And that's true in real life, but a good writer, you capture that in one scene. (laughs) You get it all in there because it's (laughs) mind-numbing. It is true. She is really good. She is really good at capturing the evasiveness and kind of the repost and parrying of how people who aren't good communicators (laughs) communicate. So I guess we don't like these books anymore. I don't. No? But at the same time, you're right in that they're sort of propulsive in a way that I read this so fast. I only started reading these books to dunk on them, but... I have a strange respect for the Twilight books, despite everything we've just said. So they're schlocky, but they retain a kind of integrity. They're not, like, I think they have more integrity than, like, an Avengers film. Because I don't feel like every aspect of this book has been tailored to hit its audience demo, or, like, as many demo, like, or as many demos as, like, possible it's so like weird and like bad in spots and she's made so many like puzzling decisions that i think stephanie meyer is uh i think this is probably pretty close to her like artistic vision it does not feel like a cynical exercise to me no they're not focus group tested at all it does not maybe they were but it doesn't feel that way i mean if so she did not take feedback (laughs) particularly well but they are i'll give her that they're Very idiosyncratic. They're strange as hell. They are weirder, I think, than they get credit for. They birthed a kind of sameness in YA fantasy, but all of those things are patterned on the Twilight books, which you can't pattern something on because I just think it would actually be, well, it turns out it's not that hard to write like her because Fifty Shades of Grey does a pretty good approximation except as I've shared before those are actually a lot worse (laughs) and not only because they are more disgusting and I do this is not kink shaming but I find the sex scenes in those books genuinely disgusting they are vivid in a way that isn't helpful but anyway these are kind of replicable because some pretty good fan fiction writers or pretty faithful fan fiction writers have done a good job but I don't think that these were meant to kick off an international trend and movement in literature for young people. She is writing exactly what she wanted to write, which you're right, has a certain kind of integrity. It, I mean, it feels that way, you know? I, I And she just happens to just not be that awesome at it. Except that's except that's sort of absurd to say because she's clearly awesome at it in that these are mega hits. Yeah, people read and loved these books. So people you know. continue to read and love these books we're reading them (laughs) so i I don't know i tip my hat 
at at that. If you've made something that people adore. But that also hues closely to what you wanted to make. Yeah. It, it, it feels very close to... You're right. She has a point of view. Mm-hmm. And they're not cynical. No, I don't find this to be a cynical exercise. I think... You're right. I think they have more artistic integrity than most Marvel movies. Yeah, I I, I would say that. Um, so let's do some highlights and lowlights, and we'll start with the highlights. Not that Marvel's like, a lot of that stuff is like pretty good, but I don't... But it's designed just, to be good in a certain way that hits certain markets. To it's me, they're designed like, to be marketed. They're like vampires. They're supposed to appeal to all our senses, right? To extract money from us. Right. And these don't feel as though they were written for that express purpose. It feels like she wrote them from her heart. Yeah, I think these are sincere books. Yeah, which is sort of wild. Okay, respectable. And I think the Harry Potter books, since we are ostensibly a Harry Potter podcast, uh, I think those have a sincerity. I think they have similar... Right, but... I think they have a similar sincerity to them. Let's just get this out there. We know this, but I just want to say it. The Harry Potter books are so much better that it's hard to believe you're reading anywhere close to the same genre. <laughs> I mean, this is more like dunk, supernatural romance. But I mean, books written for young people about things that don't happen in the real world. Right. We dunk on Harry Potter constantly. That's our whole raison d'etre. I mean, it isn't. We talk about them very seriously as well. But the margin between these two series is just unfathomable. Harry Potter is so much better. So much better. Which is why we can do those chapter by chapter. Can you imagine trying to do this book chapter by chapter? We would just be discussing the weird way Bella eats Cheerios. Which which is is one O at a time. And which is like a three-page scene. (laughs) I... To be fair, she's trying to like stall for time. I don't remember why, but but she's Stephanie Myers doesn't o. need to stall for time. I, I don't remember why she's eating individual O's, but I think she's waiting for Edward to come over. Okay, okay, whatever. But for real, let's do highlights and lowlights. Okay. Um, one thing that we've shared before when we do the nibbler that I think holds true here is that every single character is more interesting than the main characters. <laughs> so for me, Jasper and Rosalie's stories are really interesting. They are moments where I'm pretty swept up in the story that's being told. And again, just to reiterate, these are not anywhere close to the main characters or the main psyches or the main relationships that these books are about. So she has made a bizarre choice in terms of who's in her life to focus on. Because Rosalie and Jasper's stories are fascinating. Yeah, Rosalie, as we said in the summary it is surprisingly dark oh it's really violent and Mm -hmm. she i appreciate actually that most of that violence is off page yeah it's i didn't want to read a stephanie myers written brutal gang rape scene yeah and she doesn't use that word it's just heavily hinted at it's true you like you understand which i think is fine right i do i actually i think that scene is fairly nicely written and the image of rosalie coming back and killing them one by one in her wedding gown is actually incredibly satisfying and i would watch that movie (laughs) instead of this movie and book This is a highlight for me because I think it serves a useful function in the plot to have, for one thing, it answers Rosalie, why Rosalie doesn't like 
Bella, which is like one of the few interesting like mysteries of or character conflict. Yeah. Period. Uh, but also, it's useful to have a character go to Bella and say, "You're wrong. You're making the wrong decision." And people, especially men, aren't always who you think they're going to be. This is the only time in these books so far that like even hints at the idea that sometimes guys are just really bad and do bad things not because they love you just because they're bad right you know that like men can be like monsters in a way that has nothing to do with like supernatural forces just like the inherent monstrosity in human beings and the inherent monstrosity in the patriarchy yeah i also think that this is useful because it reminds us so carlisle is such a saint-like figure in these books and it reminds us that carlisle is making a controversial and challenging choice in changing these people into vampires and Rosalie regrets it with her whole being. Even now that she has Emmett, like she's found a vampire mate, she she hates being a vampire and she wishes that she had never been changed and she wishes that if she couldn't live out the human life that she pictured for herself that she had died and she makes a really good point to Bella that Bella has no idea what life is like mm-hmm. and is never going to know. When she says she has this line about wanting to be gray-haired and sitting with Emmett with their children and grandchildren, and it's just a really good reminder that a big part of being in the world is whether you have offspring of your own or not is the gradual creation and expansion of a community mm-hmm. and they can't do that without like stealing a body from someone else basically right. or and potentially destroying their soul mm-hmm. they can't expand their community in a meaningful way whether through offspring or just through making new connections and they don't seem to mature right because edward still acts like a damn 17 year old right they're born in 19 19- 18. They don't experience much growth. And growth is what's really beautiful about being alive. There's actually this great scene in the movie that isn't in the book where Jessica, played by Anna Kendrick in one of Anna Kendrick's best roles, frankly, <laughs> is giving the graduation speech. And she gives this whole speech about how this is the time in life to try things and make mistakes and not commit to anything and just see who you are. And it's this really profound and kind of lovely rebuke of Bella's choices because Bella's doing the opposite. She's choosing to be frozen in time and commit to only one thing for literal ever. And I actually wish that scene was in the book because it's making the same point that Rosalie makes, which is just, you have no, you're seven fucking teen. Yeah, in a weird way, the movie more elegantly expresses some of the more interesting themes in Eclipse. Oh, Once again, just putting this out there, the movie is better. Because there's another line in the Rosalie scene that's not in the books where Bella tries to rebut Rosalie and says, I already know what I want. Edward's the thing I want most in the world. And she says, well, after you're a vampire, there's going to be something you want more. Which is Which is human blood. Yeah, which is grisly. Like an interesting conflict in Eclipse once you like dig underneath the layers of like bullshit is... Bella wondering how much she will change and is subsuming herself into the Cullen identity. Like, is that obliterating her own personhood or not? But luckily, we have been given a character 
that has virtually no personhood or inner life <laughs> or distinguishing characteristics at all. Yeah, but that tension is there. It is. It could be more interesting, but you're right. It is there. It is there. And it's expressed in moments when she actually does experience real doubt about her choice. Not about her sort of like long-term commitment to this choice, but how soon she wants to do it and whether she, you know, wants to say goodbye to her mother. I got that across the summary, right? That she wants to become a vampire soon and like that's the plan and it's going to happen. I don't know if you did, but the summary was There was just a lot to unwieldy. explain. Basically, um, yeah, Bella is going to become a vampire at so, some point. So Jasper's story is interesting. It is exciting and it's fun to know, but let's talk about the fact once again that one of our one of the heroes of this particular book, his origin story is fighting for the fucking Confederacy. <laughs> Jasper was staring off into space. That's how you were changed. My realization was a whisper. Yes, he agreed. When I was human, I lived in Houston, Texas. I was almost 17 years old when I joined the Confederate Army in 1861. I lied to the recruiters and told them I was 20. I was tall enough to get away with it. My military career was short-lived, but very promising. People always liked me, listened to what I had to say. My father said it was charisma. Of course, now I know it was probably something more. But whatever the reason, I was promoted quickly through the ranks, over older, more experienced men. The Confederate Army was new and scrambling to organize itself, so that provided opportunities as well. By the first battle of Galveston, well, it was more of a skirmish, really. I was the youngest major in Texas, not even acknowledging my real age. I was placed in charge of evacuating the women and children from the city when the Union's mortar boats reached the harbor. It took a day to prepare them, and then I left with the first column of civilians to convey them to Houston. And that's supposed to just be a fine and normal human life that got cut short. Frankly, I'm glad that they lost a general or a major or whatever. <laughs> I think he was a major. He was like the youngest major in like the Texan Confederate forces. For one thing, you're right that when he's talking about the column of civilians that he's saving, it comfortably ignores the fact that that probably included enslaved people that they were trying to prevent from joining the Union Army. Right, yeah. I actually just wrote a little thing about the Civil War in Texas and Texas was a destination for a lot of slave owners. A lot of slave owners in the Eastern Confederacy were trying to frantically evacuate enslaved people to Texas and the West to avoid the encroachment of the Union Army, which was, of course, liberating slaves through the Emancipation Proclamation. So, yeah, Jasper, in this whole evacuation scene, almost certainly would have been trying to shuffle enslaved people further behind the lines to prevent them from being emancipated. So, subtext there. Cool. But also... There's a lot of underlying lost cause bullshit yeah, here. Yeah, I was gonna say. So... The Confederate veteran, the kind of the kind of shiftless Confederate veteran looking for a new cause is such a trope of like romance and like mid-century westerns, especially like the searchers and movies like that, like John Wayne films, 
that, okay, on top of all the problematic bullshit in these books, we have to add lost cause nostalgia as well. Right. We have to add like a sympathetic vision of the Confederacy. (laughs) Why? Like Stephanie Myers, why is this in here? It's like on one hand kind of interesting, but also the messages are flooring. (laughs) And it's always Confederate veterans. It's never like Union veterans, because I guess Confederates are supposed to like know something about loss or whatever. Have experienced having something fundamental about who they were and what they believed taken away from them by force, by an encroaching kind of... Like, oh, we were wrong, but we gave it our all, or whatever. They don't even think they were wrong. Clearly, Jasper doesn't think they... Well, let's see. That's a good question. Does Jasper still sort of miss slavery? That is an excellent fucking question. Is he like, the South was right. Bella should ask him that, but she doesn't. No, because (laughs) Bella doesn't... Bella is so credulous... Bella doesn't ask any interesting or important questions of any of these characters. The other thing is, is Jasper Bella, unreconstructed? Bella That's what I want to know. Zero interest in history. There are so many questions. Yeah, that I would have for these characters about the experiences of living in vastly different eras that aren't. Are you glad you're a vampire? Someone, yeah, someone could do an oral history with Jasper, like. Frankly, fucking Carlyle, who, like, what, was it, like, the 13th century or something like that? He could answer a lot of historians' burning questions. I know, and they're just... And Bella asks them nothing. Like, Barbara Tuckman could have, like, interviewed her for a distant mirror or whatever. Yeah. You know? Wild. <laughs> so, in addition to everything else, we have Confederate nostalgia in this book, inexplicably. Oh, my God. Yeah, is he still pro-slavery? I I guess he's pro... I guess he was pro-drinking other people's blood, so, you know, Jasper's had some fucking problematic opinions. And love transformed him, which yeah. is, you know, one trope shared with Harry Potter that's pretty irritating. <laughs> I believe in love. Clearly, I believe in love. But I also believe that there are ways to be good in the world that don't involve, I don't know, monogamous marital love. So is Jasper a highlight or a low light, or is he both? I mean, to me, Jasper's story is a highlight literarily in terms of it's one of the more interesting parts to read. Right. It's an enjoyable story. He is a character. I don't know. I got questions. (laughs) What's a highlight for you? I still like the Volturi. I think it's a pretty scary scene when they show up to enforce order and they kill the newborn vampire who has surrendered because ordinarily I don't think Carlisle would want or allow something like that to happen. But the fact that he does just shows how like not to be trifled with they are. I think it's very chilling. And when Edward says, don't watch. Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a nice moment. The Volturi are still I mean, it's not nice, yeah. okay. but it's but a it, well-rendered It's an effective moment. moment. And, you know, the Volturi are, they're, they're not ambiguous. Like, they're pretty clearly bad guys. But, you know, Jasper sort of respects them for, like, putting an end to the fucked up Southern vampire wars. And, I don't know, they operate in an interesting space. They've got a point of view. Another highlight for me, what's complicated about all these highlights are that every single message in this book is problematic and disturbing. <laughs> So even the parts that are interesting and engaging to read have something to say that I fucking hate. So I really enjoyed the Quileute legend scene. Yeah. I liked learning about the origin story, quote unquote, 
of the kind of werewolf DNA and the spirit warriors and the whole part where the bad guy steals the bodies and blah, blah, blah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and it's some actual, like, action. It is. down in the middle of... Some actual action that doesn't take place in the present. The weird thing is, there's a fair amount of action that takes place in far, far distant flashbacks. Yeah, when other people are talking, the book gets interesting. Right, and then you get back into (laughs) Bella's head and you just wish that you could die rather than keep reading (laughs) Bella's thoughts. But still, the Quileute stuff is mad essentializing and she made up a whole mythos for an existing tribe. Yeah, well... We don't have to get all the way into that again. But, oh my god. It's a howler. It is. Another highlight for me is how fucking pissed Charlie is at Edward. (laughs) I just... I don't love sort of dad with a shotgun tropes once again basically every message in these books is wrong but charlie is a great character and he's one of the better written characters actually Mm -hmm. weirdly and his rage at edward is actually pretty justified and he's funny charlie's pretty funny he's funnier in the movies because again the movies are actually better (laughs) and there's some passable acting in them which might be an unpopular opinion but i think some of these roles are pretty well acted we yeah we just watched eclipse last night i'm a fan of the twilight films i think they're uh i would certainly rather watch the movies than read the books i don't think i would i don't know i actually really like the first one i would watch that one just as a choice independent of anything after that i don't think i would watch the movies except because we were doing this insane project the clips film is a pretty faithful adaptation it is but it's it fills plot holes really nicely the nice thing about the eclipse film is that it develops this whole riley newborn storyline alongside the rest of the action it just doesn't get trotted out at the very end right so there's some actual stakes when riley shows up so riley as a reminder because we only said his name once because he's meaningless in the book is the vampire that Victoria creates to sort of lead the newborn army because Alice is watching her decision making. So she has to put the decision making around this army in someone else's hands. And Victoria convinces Riley that she's in love with him, but it turns out that she's just using him. But that's not in the book. The love part. It's very briefly in the book. Oh, it's briefly mentioned, yeah. It's... Never mind. Edward gives his whole monologue of, you're just a boy, Riley. We have that (laughs) twice in a row. (laughs) Little, some Um, sound of music there. And he says, she doesn't really love you. She is avenging her true mate. She wants you to die in this conflict or she'll get rid of you herself. But right, Riley is an actual character in the movie, which is way more interesting. Yeah. And his disappearance is sort of a subplot in as Charlie investigates it, which again is interesting and nowhere in the books. It just pay, it just it improves the pacing a bit, you know, because it builds there's a little bit more build up to the climactic showdown. Agreed. Okay, low lights. Well, there's this fucking magnets metaphor. Not wanting to be ridiculously early for work, I ate my breakfast slowly, one Cheerio at a time. Then when I'd washed the dishes, I arranged the magnets on the fridge into a perfect line. Maybe I was developing obsessive-compulsive disorder. The last two magnets, round, black, utilitarian pieces that were my favorites because they could hold ten sheets of paper to the fridge without breaking a sweat, did not want to cooperate with my fixation. Their polarities were reversed. Every time I tried to line the last one up, the other jumped out of place. For some reason, impending mania, perhaps, this really irritated me. 
Why couldn't they just play nice? Stupid with stubbornness, I kept shoving them together as if I was expecting them to suddenly give up. I could have flipped one over, but that felt like losing. Finally, exasperated at myself more than the magnets, I pulled them from the fridge and held them together with two hands. It took a little effort. They were strong enough to put up a fight, but I forced them to coexist side by side. See? I said out loud, talking to inanimate objects. Never a good sign. That's not so horrible, is it? I stood there like an idiot for a second, not quite able to admit that I wasn't having any lasting effect against scientific principles. Then, with a sigh, I put the magnets back on the fridge a foot apart. There's no need to be so inflexible, I muttered. I always have a point in these books for these episodes where I think, I don't know if we can finish this or even... <laughs> Or even do this episode. I like, don't know I, if I can keep uh, going. And this comes in. This comes pretty early in the fucking book. So she's eating her fucking Cheerios one by one. Then she rearranges all the magnets, and she's trying to put two magnets to get like closer together, but they won't come together because fucking magnetism. And <laughs> magnets, how do they work? And I'm just like, what is Stephanie Meyer even like? What is going on here? And then I'm, and then. It's like, oh, the magnets are Edward and Jacob. They can't be near each other. And I'm just like, that is fucking, this is the dumbest fucking metaphor. This is just, this is not clever. No. Uh, and then she continues remembering back to the magnets. I was like, I hope this metaphor never shows up again. Nope. It's repeated over and over again. She's like, oh, fuck. Edward and Jacob are just like those magnets on my fridge. Constantly <laughs> comparing, she constantly compares them to her fringe magnets. Also, hilariously, she describes the magnets and they're the most boring magnets in the world. Oh yeah, she's like, these are my favorite, she's like, I found my two favorite magnets. She has favorite fridge magnets, that's and how. <laughs> they're the really dull, just industrial ones. She's like, they can easily hold up five sheets of paper with no effort. And you're like, what are are you actually talking about right now what favorite, is this book she has favorite so bella one of the few things we know about her in her life despite having to listen to her for pages upon pages is that she has favorite fridge magnets so a- anyway and they're not even cute ones that she got on vacation or something but then at the very end of the book she realizes that the magnets were actually the two sides of herself, the part that loves Jacob and the part that loves Edward, and they can't be reconciled because of, like, the forces of nature or Bletch. fucking reverse poles or whatever. I It's reverse poles that don't go together. I, fuck, Pella probably knows more about magnets than I do because I haven't... But the thing about magnets is you can just flip one around and they stick together. That's... The whole thing is opposite... Or I think it's same poles can't push together. Yeah. But if you flip it around the opposite poles can so it's really really easy to solve the magnets won't stick together problem <laughs> which bella seems not to be able to acknowledge here just like what the fuck is going on here i cannot believe that she sticks with this kitchen magnet metaphor throughout the entire book speaking of just character taste bella's taste and kitchen magnets there are some flooring moments of bad taste that are lowlights for me. Edward's bedroom is a Trumpian nightmare. <laughs> he has gold carpeting and this black leather couch and 
a wrought iron bed. First of all, wrought iron and black leather are going to massively clash with all these sort of welded roses and a gold bedspread. The poor set decorators in the movie did a pretty faithful job they of do this. A, they do an admirable job but toning it down. But the amount they must have had to work to make it even passably sort of tasteful looking. How many iterations of that bedroom scene must they have gone through before they could find something that didn't look heinous my unsung hero might be the set dresser now that i think about it first of all my unsung hero is kind of whoever did the cinematography because the sweeping shots of the olympic peninsula make the movie pretty i mean i would watch it for like the planet earth moment yeah i know but is is that cinematography or that's just camera i don't know the images of the pacific northwest are actually stunning in the movie so yes going back edward's bedroom is hideous and we're meant to think that he's so, like, elegant and sophisticated. And tasteful and classy. And then she drops in fucking details like his deep shag gold carpet. And, and the like, fact that he loves where fucking... Where the fuck are we? He's listened to every piece of music ever and he's decided that, like, Claire de Lune is, like, his jam. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's a pretty piece of music, I You're guess. You're supposed but it's to not... understand that he has really esoteric and interesting taste in music. And that's not a he's, deep cut. He's obsessed with Claire de Lune. I mean, that's book one, but whatever. I don't know. There's several of these moments where she's describing in breathless detail a thing that's supposed to be awesome that just is not. We didn't get into this in book one. I want to get into it now. But it makes it a, a reappearance. Missed, it, it does make a reappearance. It was a missed opportunity. The outfit that she wears when she first meets the Cullens is a floor-length khaki skirt. Which is, which, she describes as her sexiest outfit. <laughs> And then she comes down the stairs and Edward, like, can't even contain himself. He's like, no woman is, like, looked more ravishing than you. You It should be illegal to be this enticing. In your floor-length khaki skirt. (laughs) Okay, no shade to a whole religion, but this is where the Mormonism comes in. I mean, we mean that lovingly. Yeah, the, but you know what? Tan France would have something to say about this. We learned recently, this is a queer eye side note, But Tan's job, his sort of first design gig, was creating stylish, tasteful, modest clothing for folks in religions that prioritize modesty. Right. And Tan could certainly have made something really, really cute for Bella that wasn't a floor-length tan, tan, haha, khaki skirt. What the actual fuck? It's like you're on safari, but also Victorian, but also you have the worst taste ever. I cannot believe the khaki skirt. So the khaki skirt makes a fucking reappearance. Luckily, she does not wear it to her graduation. She wears (laughs) something. I I think she wears like a red dress that Alice went and bought for her. No, she wears a blouse and skirt combo, which again, everybody else is wearing cute, normal, mid-2000s dresses and she's wearing i don't know she dresses like she's super religious which is fine and she's actually the character is she's is not no she's pretty agnostic i think she's not religious at all because she thinks it's weird that edward cares about souls right so dressing like you're super religious is fine if there's a Eh, just her personal style based reason but you can the khaki skirt is a crime against fashion yes even you know that Actually, you have great style. I don't know why I said that. I as don't though have I great was, style. You but, do. I think you have uh, really nice style. Um, so I was saying that as if like, oh, that was sort of 
that was reverse sexism. <laughs> oh, dumb boys don't even know what to put on their bodies. Now you look. Great. I wish the khaki skirt had been in the Twilight movie, just I, so we could see what that looks again, like on Kristen Stewart. But also, like the poor costume designer having to be like, "Do I have to put this fucking khaki skirt in this movie on this woman that's meant to be marginally attractive?" I'm not doing that. Floor length khaki skirt, amazing. What? <laughs> But yeah, there's all these moments like that. And the Edwards bedroom is like just another excellent example of of that. Also, there's their weird obsession with Wuthering Heights, which is like kind of an attempt to be literary, but... I think she's misinterpreting Wuthering Heights pretty profoundly. They did the same thing with Romeo and Juliet, where you were like, you're missing the point it's here. Like, this is bad. That they <laughs> the fact that they both kill themselves is not a good thing. That is tragedy. I don't know. Because Bella's supposed to be kind of bookish. Which we see her read basically one book a year. <laughs> so I don't know that I buy that. And Wuthering Heights is like dog-eared and... Right. She rereads for sort of, I don't know, it's mean to call Wuthering Heights schlocky, but kind of schlocky romances. No, that's not fair. Like, God bless the Bronte sisters. But she takes the wrong messages away from every book she reads. Another low light. Bella is part of the college admissions cheating scandal. Bella is in... Project Varsity Blues. Operation Varsity Blues. Straight up. I mean, so Edward is trying to get her to extend her human life by getting her to attend college. And she is like applied to one school, University of Alaska, so that they can, so that she'll have like an excuse never to come home for Christmas. Like, when she's turned into a vampire, which, one, that's a fucking stupid plan. You're only in college like four years. Like... That excuse isn't going to last very long. I think the whole thing is that she just can't visit home while she's a newborn vampire. Oh. But I thought she said she was going to, like, stay away forever. Okay, well, maybe I'm wrong. But I... Because she's like, I'll have to say goodbye to them forever. I feel like in the next book, it's kind of like she can't go home in that early newborn stage because she doesn't have enough control, but she eventually might be able to be around her family again. But she's going to look wildly different. Yeah, I know. Anyway, Edward has been bribing other colleges to let her in. Like, straight up. Like, bribing, like, the bursars. He bribed Dartmouth. Yeah, so she gets accepted to Dartmouth because they've been getting, like, payoffs from the Cullens. (laughs) Which, again, she's taking someone else's spot. Yeah, it's really unfair. And Bella does so many things that are at best amoral that we're supposed to be able to relate to or that she feels helpless against. She's kind of like, oh shit, I might kill people when I become a vampire. Like, eh. Wonder how that'll make me feel. We'll see when we <laughs> see, I guess. Um, Or this college thing, right? There's nobody, she sort of is like, she's like, She's sort of annoyed by it because she feels like she doesn't deserve to get into Dartmouth. Which is true. It's true. But she's not annoyed because it's immoral or unethical. She's annoyed because she's like, no, like, I don't belong in an ivy. Like, I belong with you in Alaska. Fuck you, Bella. Oh, my God. Well, he's going to go to Dartmouth, too. I know. But still, she's not mad about this because it's wrong. Right. She's mad because it makes her feel weird. So basically, Bella and Aunt Becky and Felicity Huffman are out here making poor choices as a group. (laughs) All right, let's talk about 
the new werewolf lore, we've learned two big things. We learn that werewolves don't age, or they start aging after they stop becoming werewolves, but they live, like, much longer lives, basically, which triggers Bella. Basically, their aging process pauses during times when they're actively phasing. Yeah. So whatever the threat is that's causing the frequent phasing ends, their aging resumes. But Bella is super triggered. <laughs> She's so pissed. She's like, am I the only one getting old? It's like, yeah, you you and billions of other people. Chill. The thing is, though, even with this being true, doesn't being a vampire just seem vastly worse in every way than being a werewolf? Werewolves can sort of extend their lives what seems like, not indefinitely, but they end up living, the chief in the story lives for centuries. Yeah, a long time. But they can still eat, they can still sleep, they can still bone. They get to experience a lot of the things. Like the Cullens don't have anything to do. Not sleeping sounds like hell to me. That sounds awful. Even you just if you need don't a, get tired. You just need a reset. You right. need to like escape and tap out for a while. Right. I, I guess vampire psychology is probably really different the way they experience the world but the idea of just being awake all the time like frankly it's one of the hard it gives me the heebie-jeebies i know it makes me want to have a panic attack it's just awful and they eat for sustenance they're never full they don't ever experience satiation and even when they do eat it's not pleasurable they don't get to experience gastronomic happiness or pleasure one thing Right, and the one thing they can't eat isn't the thing they want to eat. So they're just on a terrible diet for eternity. (laughs) Which, diets suck. I mean, the Collins are all about asceticism and self-denial, Except that they buy these Porsches and shit. No, they just experience their only pleasure from capitalism. Right, they have to indulge in, like, rampant materialism to, like, make up for all the in order to human experiences they're missing. And I guess their experience, like, they live pretty rich intellectual lives, it seems like, to their credit. Except the best song he's decided is Claire de Lune. Right. Like, out of every fucking song ever written. And the best book is Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) So, but I mean, you know, they get to spend their time learning languages, they get to do, like, hella do Lingo for their whole lives forever and that's interesting but being a human or being in the werewolves case closer to human is rad yeah in a lot of ways all the superpowers none of the upsetting bloodlust right and also none of the lack of the experiences of being a human being that are endlessly pleasurable they get super swift healing they do i would much rather be a werewolf oh by far also one of the most profound things about the werewolf culture that i think bella completely overlooks at her sort of at her peril is werewolves have a community the cullen tribe is going to stay six-ish people forever or close to forever especially now that edward has a mate carlisle doesn't seem to be continuing to add people and yeah it continues there's like progression but also there's just they don't have to just they don't have to exist apart from their people the werewolves remain you know like billy is no longer i don't know if billy ever was a werewolf because there was no reason to be right but jacob gets to live with 
his father and the Clearwater kids get to live with their mother and they have grandparents and they have offspring and they have friends in the town that aren't werewolves. They and just, yeah, there's knowledge that's passed down. Right. There's a sense of history. There's a, and sense, a sense of, of pride. A fu- and a sense of a future. Right. And they, they feel connection to their ancestors. They get community, which I think is one of the most important things on the planet. The the sense of a biological and a wider family. And the Cullens have this very small, tight-knit, incredibly committed and loving family, but there's no nothing to embrace them sort of from outside of that. Also, they're locked into their roles forever. Right. They they never get to be something new like, in their community. Ed, Edward is just Carlisle's son for the next, like, right. till the sun fucking burns out or and, whatever. Un, you know, this actually ends up not being true because of some fucking shenanigans in the next book. But presumably, and, you know, in, like, Rosalie's understanding, not only does she never get to be a mother, she doesn't get to be an aunt. She doesn't get to be a biological sister. I mean, I think the sisterhood they feel is sort of tenuous and complicated mm-hmm. also they're sort of lover siblings which is gross <laughs> they're all kind of flowers in the attic siblings fucking because they're sort of they're all supposed to live together as as a family but they're also all couples it's weird it's weird and the werewolves have just a much lovelier broader more loving embracing community mm-hmm. and I just it makes way more sense to me to want to be a part of the Quileute nation than whatever the fuck the Cullens are they can just never have friends yeah they just can't get close to people Jacob can make friends Edward can't Bella is Edward's first friend in a century <laughs> that sucks yeah that's terrible and he immediately gets so obsessed with her that he's going to make her immortal so maybe they just need to hang out with more people broaden your horizons man yeah and then but on the on the deltas side of the werewolf equation we have imprinting it's so hard to describe it's not like love at first sight really it's more like gravity moves when you see her suddenly it's not the earth holding you here anymore She does. And nothing matters more than her. And you would do anything for her. Be anything for her. You become whatever she needs you to be. Whether that's a protector, or a lover, or a friend, or a brother. Quill will be the best, kindest big brother any kid ever had. There isn't a toddler on the planet that will be more carefully looked after than that little girl will be. And then, when she's older and needs a friend, he'll be more understanding, trustworthy, and reliable than anyone else she knows. And then, when she's grown up, they'll be as happy as Emily and Sam. A strange, bitter edge sharpened his tone at the very end, when he spoke of Sam. Doesn't Claire get a choice here? Of course. But why wouldn't she choose him in the end? He'll be her perfect match like he was designed for her alone. Yeah, that's a nice description for a horrifying concept. <laughs> the other thing is it seems like only men can imprint on women. Right. Is my sense. Right. Well, so there's this moment where Quill, one of the new werewolves, imprints on a two-year-old. Yeah, age doesn't matter. 
Right. Now, it he's not going to be, like, in a sexual relationship, obviously. Well, that's not obvious. I don't know. that. That's not obvious when you first read that sentence. Quill says that's not what... Jacob says that's not what it's about. Right now, you're just whoever that person needs you to be. So right now, he'll be, like, the best older brother, like, ever. Then he'll be the best friend ever when they're, like, a teenager or whatever, defending you, like, being there for you no matter what. And then, though... You'll be lovers. You'll be... Which is, Naturally. like... What? You're... So you're just, you know that's in the cards for, so Quill like knows that's in the cards for him and this like two-year-old? What the fuck? Well, it's also, she has this really weird, and I think this can take us to a larger conversation about these books. She has a weird conception of romantic monogamous love being kind of the highest ideal of real love. Yeah. And all of the love connections that we have with people in our lives that aren't our First of all, she seems to truly believe in soulmates. Yeah. Which, what? For werewolves and vampires. And people. Mm-hmm. Like, her worldview, when we talk, you know, we talk about the moral universe of Harry Potter. The moral universe here believes in soulmates. Yeah. Which I super don't, so I don't know. I find that odd. But the relationships that people have with each other that are non-romantic are just always superseded by romantic relationships. Bella's abandoning her parents. Like, parent-child relationships are among the most important on the planet. You know, sibling relationships are... I mean, Bella doesn't have siblings, but this idea that Quill is going to sort of progress through subsequent levels of commitment with this person until they get to the ideal commitment, which is heterosexual, monogamous, romantic love. That lasts forever. That lasts forever. Forever. What the fuck? Yeah, and then there's this moment where Bella says to Jacob, she says, doesn't the woman have any choice? And he says, yeah, technically they've got a choice, but how could you ever reject that kind of love and affection? You wouldn't. And it's like, uh, wow, that is a horrible message. I know, there's a lot to unpack there, but the idea that if a man shows you enough affection and obsession like obsessive love the universe demands that you reciprocate it it is the will of time and space that you love him back (laughs) what the fuck yeah jacob's just like oh you would never reject that you could but you wouldn't i mean so one of the things here in the kind of within the imprinting lore is we have this interesting werewolf love triangle where Sam, who's the alpha werewolf, and Leah Clearwater, who is a new member of the werewolf pack um, and the only female member, were sweethearts for a long, long time. They started dating in middle school or something and they were together all through high school. And then Sam became a werewolf and he imprinted on Emily, his current partner. Who I think is Leah's cousin. Who is Leah's cousin. And abandoned Leah and broke her heart. And now Leah's in the pack and they have to listen to each other's thoughts all the time. And it's really disturbing. And the message is that Sam couldn't help himself. There was no way for him to prevent the cruelty and heartbreak that he inflicted on Leah for by you know what you're allowed to break up with whoever you want but telling someone hey I love you but we can't be together because there's a supernatural force basically making me love this other person and I have no choice and I have no agency and all I can do is hurt you is not rad. I mean in this universe Dems to breaks I guess. Yeah so also 
Emily seemingly has no agency in whether or not Sam is her person because Sam fucks up her face real bad. (laughs) And she, there's no question of her leaving. Right. Despite the fact that he, I mean, abuses her. And this is meant to be like the hardest on Sam. Right. Sam is the one that's suffering here, is our understanding from the narration. That Leah is being a whiny bitch and Emily is appropriately putting up with whatever it takes to be with her man and Sam is hurting. Ugh. Boy, oh boy. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah. I think if I was a parent, I would never want to say this book is off limits or any book is off limits. But, like, if you do read Twilight, young one, please just come talk to me about it. Like, Yeah, let's the, have a conversation about the messages the here before you absorb <laughs> the picture of romantic love that this book gives you. Well, let's let's talk about the, well, uh, the, 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 the relationships, the romances. And I do, I mean, whatever. This probably goes without saying, but we are monogamous heterosexual married people so we are the very so we are the closest you kind of can be to the relationships that she holds up as perfect in these books and we still find them chilling so if you are a queer person or in an interracial relationship or asexual or there is any way in which you do not hew as closely as Alex and I do to incredibly traditional norms around romantic love, these must be so much more damaging. I just want to name that. Like, you and I fit the bill in these books, and we're still like, what the ever-living fuck? I'm super glad I did not discover these books as a teenager, because I think I would have probably, like, identified with, like, Jacob or whatever as, like, a quote-unquote, like, nice guy that's... Finishes last or Not whatever. getting the girl, and... It's just like, there's so many moments where Bella is just feeling terrible about the fact that Jacob is feeling, like, rejected, and he's doing his best to, like, rub it in, and essentially saying, oh, how could you do this to me? How could you make me feel this way? (sighs) Bella's just managing everyone's emotions. All the men around her should be canceled. Everybody's canceled. She's terrible. The men around her are so much worse in so many ways. I don't know. You don't Bella's know about canceled that? too. Okay, Bella's a little canceled, but Bella is Bella is not a moral person. Jacob forces a kiss on Bella and then she punches him, which good for you. Yeah, she gets rightfully angry and then she almost immediately forgives him and tries to empathize or does empathize with what kind of pain he's He's in. feeling for like the fact that he forced a kiss on her, which she describes as an assault. And she is immediately punished for trying to fight back. She breaks her hand. Right. So there is this like swift, immediate physical punishment for her desire to get him off of her. <sighs> So yeah, oh, this scene this, is so gross because she describes like just waiting for him to be done. I know. And, and it's actually ugh. like, it's really disturbing and kind of triggering. Yeah. It's not sweet. And then she has to basically like, yeah, manage his emotions around this bad thing he did. And then when he, first of all, just fundamental hallmark of an abusive relationship threatens to kill himself because he's not getting what he wants from her romantically she has no choice we're meant to understand except acquiesce and force herself into like a physical intimacy with him so that he can survive and then she realizes she loves him. She's like, oh, maybe Jacob was right the whole time. Ugh. Oh, This Bella. book is just, 
a guidebook for how to effectively stay in an abusive relationship. So yeah, Jacob is canceled. Okay, but then Edward's super canceled. Edward's worse. I actually, in- Edward doesn't physically assault Bella. Yeah, but he physically restrains her constantly. That's, that's true. He, he exerts a lot of physical power over He's her. He's really manipulative in... Yeah, emotionally, but also he controls her physically all the time. Well, yeah, there's the part where he like disables her car. Yeah. So she can't some, go to La Push. Yeah, some like fucking what Sound of Music shit. Fuck? Not Rather even Sound of Music. That's I've also sinned. like textbook oh, yeah, abusive abuse. relationship. For sure. Both of these men are abusing Bella. And then they have this weird relationship with each other where they're like debating about who has like claim to her. Right. And she has no agency. At the very end of the book, when Edward sends the uh, note to Jacob, he's like, hey, thank you for Bella, basically. It's like, Jacob didn't give you Bella. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. No, they're, and they just pass her back and forth, literally. There's multiple scenes where. Edward drives her to Jacob and hands her off for her to spend time with her sort of weird secondary other boyfriend. She's constantly afraid that it's hurting him, but he's manipulating her by sort of studiously seeming to give permission and as if she needed permission to have a relationship with someone other than him. And she thinks to herself how noble Edward is for doing this. But for the first half of the book, he controls her every move. Right. But then I think it's supposed to be like growth for Edward that he gets over it and starts, quote unquote, letting her hang out with Jacob. Which, but again, I think even that language. It's just a maneuver. It's clear it's just a maneuver. And Jacob actually calls him out on this. He's like, you're just doing this because it scores you points with Bella. Yeah. Which I think is kind of true. Well, even the fact that she, there's this tent scene. Let's talk about this tent scene. <laughs> Which is, I actually remember thinking it was a sexy scene. It's not. She often relies on one or both of these men for her life. She she needs them to survive. And in this scene, Edward basically gives Bella permission to live by grudgingly letting Jacob keep her alive in this dumb decision that he made without proper gear. The whole... <laughs> The whole book, so many choices in actually the previous two books and the werewolf vampire mythos feels like, this scene feels like it was written first and that multiple whole aspects of this universe were created in order to justify putting Jacob in a sleeping bag with Bella while Edward watches. It's, it's so such a, porny. It's such a, yeah, it's such a porny contrived setup that I have to believe that werewolves being given unnaturally high body heat was just was created for this scene. just for this scene. <laughs> and it's just the sexual triangulations here are, are they're so gross. Also, let's talk about Edward and sexuality. Right. Because, or let's talk about Stephanie Myers and actual sexuality. Because it's like that scene in Mean Girls where it's like you will have sex and die. <laughs> she equates the loss of sexual control, physical intimacy that isn't carefully regulated, as likely to kill you. All the virginity stuff here is just like, ugh. That's it, isn't it? The short laugh that escaped me was more shocked than amused. You're trying to protect your virtue. I covered my mouth with my hand to muffle the giggle that followed. The words were so old fashioned. No, silly girl, 
he muttered against my shoulder. I'm trying to protect yours, and you're making it shockingly difficult. Of all the ridiculous, let me ask you something, he interrupted quickly. We've had this discussion before, but humor me. How many people in this room have a soul, a shot at heaven, or whatever there is after this life? Two, I answered immediately, my voice fierce. All right, maybe that's true. Now there's a world full of dissension about this, but the vast majority seem to think that there are some rules that have to be followed. Vampire rules aren't enough for you? You want to worry about the human ones too? It couldn't hurt, he shrugged, just in case. It's actually a little bit similar to Harry Potter where we have the very, very unlikely specter of the female sexual aggressor, which is such a sexist trope. Except for Royce, who kills Rosalie. Right, and Royce is just accurate. (laughs) I mean, that's not true. But like, yeah, he is. There's fuck tons of violence against women. And Royce is probably, that's like one of the most accurate things that happens. Sort of like true, this isn't how the world is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Bella's showing like pretty a pretty normal sex drive impulse here yeah she's she's like almost 18 she wants to have sex with her boyfriend she's not doing anything creepy she's well she's using sex to bargain which is yeah because she's because he's forcing her to yeah you're right you're right you're right and and then he's like no uh if we have sex before marriage i'll probably fuck you to death also i'll care about you more if we're married I mean, that is one of the messages, but also it turns out that's not his actual reason because he's pretty sure he's not going to fuck her to death, but he doesn't want to doom her eternally. Or Because himself. apparently it's fine that she's probably going to kill people when he changes her, but God forbid they have premarital sex. And then, yeah, and she says the same for Edward. She says, I don't want to gamble with your soul either, even though Edward, we know, has committed multiple vigilante-style extrajudicial killings while he was like in his blood drinking phase. Sex is worse than murder. Oh my. Edward almost certainly killed an innocent person that he thought was guilty. Consensual loving sex is the same as murder. And so boy oh boy. Yeah. Don't kids. Don't get your messages about romantic love from these books. My God. Or any kind of love. Honestly, she's not She's not good to anyone. <laughs> what she's about to do to Charlie and Renee. You know what I want for Bella? This is what I actually want. I was gonna see what team we're on, but I'm on team nobody. I'm on team move to Florida with Renee. Like take a gap year, get your head on straight, go to the beach a bunch, go for like a run. Yeah, get your shit together. Have an, I don't know, I guess you're, she's not of age, but like have a virgin margarita with your mom and just get it together. Renee That's seems what I like want. the like, kind of mom that would let her drink. Do the opposite kind of getting your groove back. <laughs> just get away from dudes chill with your mom and her like cute baseball husband and get in the sunshine and just get it together you know it seems there's like so much obsession around like soulmates and monogamy forever which i mean that's like a totally valid choice i'm not knocking monogamy i'm super monogamous myself 
but we're dealing with monsters here who are already, like, outside of human norms. Why did Jacob and Edward care so much about this? Honestly, they could just be, like, polyamorous. Well... Why the fuck not? They're, they're also, already not human. They're all going to live forever. Yeah. So she might... They might... I mean, Jacob and Edward could get together. There's yeah. lots of things you can experience... or There's lots of things you can experiment with in eternity. I know. Just do 10 years with Jacob, 10 years with Edward... 10 years of Jacob and Edward and Bella chilling with Alice. You all can figure this out. You'd think there would be, like, way more experimentation and permutations in this, like, in these communities who kind of live outside, like, traditional... Human society. Yeah, like, why is there all this middle-class morality? Like, really, humans have figured out long-term polyamorous relationships, but vampires who live forever just fuck one person for the rest of the world <laughs> like until the sun subsumes the earth I, uh, yeah i don't know i i yeah i guess i'm on team nobody as well i thought i was on team jacob for a while because it actually seems like they have more in common like i can identify things that bella likes about jacob and they have actual conversations and even though I was mocking their long discussions about their feelings, it seems like they're more honest with each other than Edward and Bella are. Edward's always trying to, like, protect Bella, and I, I don't know how Edward and Bella are going to last for 10,000 years with this either. level of dishonesty in their relationship. I feel like I've been in this relationship for 10,000 years know, just, just reading their fucking them. conversations. But um, I mean, I think of if I had to pick one of them... For a lot of the reasons I've already talked about, I would probably say Team Jacob because she can have a life with him mm -hmm. and experience human joy and stay. You know what? The reason to pick, the, the only reason I think that matters to pick Jacob is then you can still hang out with your mom and dad. Yeah. I just, being 17 years old, Picking a romantic partner you've known for two years tops over your fucking parents is an unconscionable choice. Especially, I mean, lots of people have parents that they shouldn't pick because they're not good parents. But she has loving, supportive, kind, present parents. Both of them. She has a stepdad who loves her. You know, just pick your fucking family, girl. All right, I have another question about Bella. What? Why is she so, ew, marriage? I know, she wants to be with Edward for eternity, but she doesn't want a ring on it. <laughs> it's actually, I do think it's kind of funny. I'm going to give credit to Stephanie Myers for this, because it does feel very 17-year-old to be incredibly certain that you're fine living forever with one man for literal ever, but not wanting your friends to think it's ooky that you got married at 17. <laughs> I think that is pretty true to life, teen. Yeah. It's just funny. But her marriage stuff is pretty odd. So should we discuss the actual plot? I mean, the action sequences, the whole Victoria, Riley, yeah. the Volturi, all of the shit that's mildly interesting. Sure, we can talk about it for a minute. It inhabits almost none of the book. The climactic battle is... Off page. Off page. It's related to us via werewolf cell phone. Yeah. Smell phone. <laughs> uh, you used to call me on my smell phone. So... Are there actual stakes here? We know what's going to happen. It feels like the plot hasn't been advanced that much by the end. I mean, I guess they're engaged. 
Bella has realized that she loves Jacob, but they're basically in exactly do, the same. Isn't going to do were. anything about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's all just like one big shaggy dog story. Yeah, literally. literally. I wish this is a choice that J.K. Rowling makes with a plum. I wish she had killed someone. I wish there were some emotional stakes here other than will I fuck Edward slash do I want to end up with the werewolf? (laughs) You know, if Esme had died, first of all, you know, God bless Esme, but she's not doing much here. But it would have been really sad and you would have felt something. There would have been an emotional experience in this fucking book. There's not enough room. That would have detracted from... uh... I think Esme should have died. Wow. I, I want think J.K. Rowling to tweet died. about who she would have killed in, in Twilight. Twilight. <laughs> you know what? That I give her free reign on Twitter. J.K. Rowling should start just revealing plot details she would have added in other books. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Darcy is by. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to hear. I and know. the other thing about the plot, as it were, is there is no question of Jacob sort of quote winning here we never really believe that she's going to end up with Jacob there are no stakes in this love triangle because there's just there's no ending in which it's Jacob I mean I guess sort of for a second we wonder when she's kissing him and she realizes that she loves him although he's been like nagging her and like kind of badgering her into this by telling her over and over again that she loves him so but I just I guess for like a flicker of a second, I guess maybe the emotional effect it's supposed to have on us is to make us feel sympathy for Jacob and to like yearn for them to be together, but she's actually with Edward, but, but then we we're never, supposed to be like confused about who we want to root for. I don't know. We never really yearn for Jacob. I I I mean I sort of do because the whole vampire life sounds awful, but I just don't think the romantic stakes are even there. And those are the only stakes we're really supposed to care about here. Yeah. Victoria is so extraneous and like, what? It's just like, it's also the same plot as the first one. That's true. It's just so repetitive. They all get together and they keep watch and they circle up their expensive cars and then they have a fight in the field. They're all, in the movie, they're all just fucking standing there and they're like black athleisure (laughs) waiting. And the Seattle vampires are all in grunge. Grunge vampires. They all look like they were bitten at a fucking Nirvana concert (laughs) and came straight from there to the battle. It's very Seattle essentialist. You know what? Today it would just be tech bros. That's true. Yeah. That's who would come from Seattle. Oh my God. And they would all be like, this is baller. I've been trying to find immortality at Google. (laughs) So this fucking book is all I can say. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Leah Clearwater, who is the only woman werewolf in the pack. And because they can all communicate telepathically, she is forcing the werewolves to actually, like, confront their own feelings and drama in and deal with, like, issues in the pack. She reveals that, like, somebody's dad has had an affair or she, like, actually... Actually, everyone knows that one of the dads in the in the tribe has had, like, an affair because, like, somebody is a werewolf who, like shouldn't have been a werewolf like isn't from the direct line right so and like everyone just sort of been ignoring that fact and then leah is like thinking it and they're like oh no we don't talk about this yeah you know so good for leah i say airing the dirty laundry getting Mm -hmm. it out there yeah let's just have a fucking conversation about this bring some like 
bring a different energy to the wolf pack. My unsung hero is Seth Clearwater, Leah's little brother, who's only 15 and the youngest and newest werewolf. He, instead of Jacob, totally inscrutably, is the one at the climactic battle at the tent with Riley and Victoria. It's it's not Jacob. It's fucking <laughs> Seth Clearwater. But you know what? He wins handily. He fucks Riley up and then he helps Edward fuck Victoria up. And, you know, he's young and inexperienced and good for him. It is just inexplicable that he's in this scene at all. I know. But he is... And he does a good job. Good for him. Way to go, kiddo. He's Yay. sweet. He's a sweet kid. So yeah, uh, what the fuck, all of it. This might be our longest podcast ever. Yeah. It's about fucking Twilight Eclipse. Oh my god. <laughs> this is embarrassing. If you've listened this far, just bless your soul and thank you for liking us enough to listen to this schlocky swill book. April Fool's, man. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by the Quillute Nation. Actually, no, it's not, because the Quillute Nation is a real thing. Go Google them. Learn about the actual people who live in the Pacific Northwest. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Ileana Kadushin's performance of The Twilight Saga, colon, Eclipse. You can do all the shit you do with podcasts. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you're into. Find us on social media, at Quiddler Podcast, because we're not actually called The Nibbler. Spoiler alert. Let us know if you like this. We're going to keep doing them anyway. There's only one more, and we're going to power through. So look forward to that sometime in the coming months and years years and don't worry pretty soon we will be back to our bread and butter and doing the movie mini for harry potter and the half-blood prince i don't think it's going to be a mini because there's a lot to talk about in that book and movie our bread and butter beer (laughs) um so yeah we'll talk to you then ciao bella edward i said nervous staring at a freckle on my wrist. There's something that I want to do before I'm not human anymore. Bella, I could kill you, he whispered. I don't think you could. Edward's eyes tightened. Don't have sex, because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it, promise? Okay, everybody take some rubbers. I wanted to make both of them get out of their cars and shake hands and be friends. Be Edward and Jacob, rather than vampire and werewolf. It was as if I had those two stubborn magnets in my hands again, and I was holding them together, trying to force nature to reverse herself. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets, how do they work? And I don't want to talk to a scientist. Y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. Solar eclipse.